And now open your Bibles to the Gospel according to the good Dr. Luke. This will be our final sermon in chapter 9. We'll be back next week for chapter 10, Lord willing. 57 to 62 are the verses. This is one of the longest chapters in all the Bible. A lot of verses here, a lot of good stuff. We slowed down a little bit. We're at 47 sermons, and we're still in chapter 9. So there's a lot happening here. Remember, Jesus sent out the 12. We had the feeding of the 5,000, the Christological confession, the two passion predictions where Jesus predicts his death. You remember the transfiguration? Remember the demon boy that was possessed? He was healed. Remember the disciples fussing about who's the greatest and then self-serving hearts? Well, today we're going to close out this chapter with disqualified disciples. We're going to take a look and see what this means. This is a powerful passage. And, and really, there's, there's two understandings here. Number one, salvation. Number one, what does it mean to be a disciple in, in, in saving faith? That's number one. And then number two, what does it mean then to live that out? Remember, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, listen to me carefully, it's not a one-time event. It's not an event that you come to, you, you pray a, a prayer, you, you, you check off the card, and you're good, you're in, you're done. That's not what that is. He's going to teach that to us today. It's going to be clear. Three things in every sermon. What does the text say? What does it mean? What does it require? It requires something because it's alive and active. And you are alive and active. So every time you come to it, it teaches you something. It opens you to new insights. So we want to make sure that we have that before we walk out. Okay? Luke 9, 57 to 62. Disqualified disciples. Hear now the word of God. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant and fallible word. Pray with me. Father, it's no accident. We're here this morning. Everyone by divine appointment in their assigned seats. Speak now through this broken vessel and speak only your word from this pulpit. Father, we need to be changed each day. And only your word by the power of the Holy Spirit will do that. Conforming us to the image and likeness of Christ. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved. We know there are many watching by way of the internet right now, Lord. And we pray that that word would go forth and you would raise... Some from death to life, give the gift of repentance and faith. For those in storm winds, make it a word of comfort. And for those who are tired and weary and heavy laden, a word of rest. All things to all people that some might be saved. Come, now fount of every blessing. Give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than Christ. Meet us in our place of deepest need. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus and him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Okay, the three headings are simple. We're just going to use the three disciples. That's all. There's three disciples. We're going to run through all three of them, and then we'll close. And we'll head over to our children's ministry meeting. Number one, defecting defecting disciple. This is the first guy. He he defects. And Jesus is going to expose his heart. Going to tell us what's inside his heart. Number two, divided disciple. And then finally, number three, double-minded disciple. Remember, when you come to the stories in Scripture, you have to ask the question, who am I? Where, where does my story intersect with God's story? And you're never Jesus. So if you're never Jesus, then you have to figure out who you are. So you look at this and you try to figure out where we're at. A couple things about this. Let's be really clear. This is not a parable. These are not stories. This is real-life events that have taken place. Jesus, as a true historical figure, really engaged and encountered these three guys. And he's teaching a powerful lesson. 
The, the foundation, of course, is salvation. So that's the deepest message here. But then what does it mean to live out your faith? What does it mean to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the key in understanding this. So we're going to take a look at that, and we're going to see it from these three perspectives and then put it all together at the end. Okay? Ready? Let's head out into deep water and let our nets down for a catch. Number one, here's a defector. This is the defecting disciple. 957, and sometimes we have to go to the other evangelist to get a full-orbed picture. I'll just tell you what it says in Matthew in a moment. Back to the passage. As they were walking along the road, a man, a man, Matthew identifies the man. Matthew in chapter 8, 19, he says it's a scribe. More on that in a moment. A man, the scribe, said to him, hollers out to Jesus in front of the crowd, I'll follow you wherever you go. That phrase, wherever you go, it simply implies permanence. I'm with you. Now I'll be with you to the end. So he's going to defect. He's going to defect from the Jews to Jesus. He's already on a team. He's been on the winning team for, for, for centuries in his mind, his, his heritage. He's a scribe. He's with the Jews. But now he's seeing something. There's a shift. There's a shift in power. People are leaving the synagogues, and they're following this itinerant preacher who's walking the hillside. And he's realizing there's something wrong here. And if I stay where I am right now, I'm probably going to end up on the losing team. And that's not a good thing. So, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you... Now, scribes hated Jesus, the Pharisees. They were in conflict, but this guy says, uh-uh-uh. He's about to establish that kingdom. I know that. He's thinking, this scribe is thinking like the disciples. The kingdom of God is near. Not the one in his heart and not the one that will be established at the end times. But the kingdom in Jerusalem, he thinks, will be now established by Jesus. He wants to be on the winning team. So he's willing to defect. Now, a couple things. The crowds were amazed. Take a look at Matthew 28, 29. The crowds were amazed at his teaching. So this guy understood what was going on. Because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. The scribe was around the teachers of the law. He's, 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 the, he's, he's the lawyer, if you will, the Jewish attorney. He's the scribe. He says, this guy has nothing like us. I, I, I've got to change teams. I've got to get with him. But now we're going to see something which is, which is going to be troubling here. Watch. John 2.25. Because it sounds like a great statement. Wouldn't, wouldn't you love that every, time, every Sunday people show up to the church Man, I'll follow you wherever you go. Sign me up. I want to be part of this, this movement of God. But Jesus here says he did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. He knew the man's heart. We don't know it from just reading the surface scripture. We have to go underneath the scripture to get a full-orbed understanding. So now the question is, where was Jesus going? The guy says, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Where was he going? This guy's thinking he's going to the Jerusalem Hilton. He's going to set up shop, and I want to be part of that team. James and John want to know where they're sitting, to the right or to the left of Jesus. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? So the scribe is no different than the disciples. I want to be part of the team. But where is Jesus going? He's going to die on a cross on a hill Golgotha for our sins. They, they didn't understand that. They didn't want anything to do with that. It didn't make sense to them. So now listen to the response. I want you to listen to the response and remember who he's speaking to. This is the scribe, 958. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What kind of response is that? This is likely the first scribe that came up to him and said, listen, I'd like to be part of what you're doing. Isn't that a great catch? Right? Picture, picture the, the, the modern evangelical church today. Somebody walks in, right, some family, and you're all standing around after eating cookies and, and, and drinking your juice and coffee, and you go, man, did you see he was here today? Yeah. Why wouldn't it be great to land them? Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, that'd be a good fish. Let's get that. Whatever we got to do, let's get them in. That's good. So the disciples are saying, excuse me, Jesus. Wouldn't it be great to have a testimony from the scribe? Wouldn't this help us then make some headway into the the Jewish Sanhedrin and the whole community of of these narrow-minded legalists? Wouldn't this be a good guy? And Jesus says, hold on. Foxes, so what does he do? The creator, listen to what the the creator, the creator says the creatures have greater comforts than, than he does. He's the creator. I made the fox, but the fox as a whole. I made the birds. They have nests. I have no place to lay my head. Do you have any idea what you're asking for? Now picture this for a moment. You go home, you go to your house, you go put your key in, it's locked, can't go in. For the next three and a half years, you have nowhere to go. You're at the mercy of those who open the door and invite you. Three and a half years. I want you to picture that. You and your family, your whole band of people, and you're out there serving the Lord. Three and a half. That's what's going on. And he says to the guy, man, you're living a life of comfort right now and ease in Jerusalem. You have no idea what you're asking for. But I know your heart. I know what's inside, man. And foxes have holes and birds have... So this guy's thinking, kingdom now? What was the truth? What was the reality? Watch. A couple bullet points. Make it clear. Judea rejects him. Galilee casts him out. The Gerasene begs him to leave. Remember the demons and the pigs? Go, go. Samaria refuses him lodging. Earth will not have him, and finally heaven forsakes him. So he says to the scribe, just so you know, that this is, this is it. You sure you want to sign up for this? In a modern evangelical program today, you're teaching discipleship and sharing your faith. Jesus pretty much be the last guy you want on your team. Because he's just driving them away. You've got a guy show up and say, listen, I'm signing up. I'd like to be a part of everything you do. And Jesus says, hold on, hold on, come here. Foxes have holes, birds have nests. I have nowhere to lay my head. Now, we don't know what the response is of any of these three disciples. Why? Because the response is left for you. We'll get to that at the end. It seems to suggest they all went away. That's what it seems to suggest. We could probably figure that out, the way the, the structure of the whole text We don't know, but it seems to suggest. But the whole point, you don't know because it's to you. How do you respond? Okay? That's the defecting disciple. He's he's Giuseppe Garibaldi. Check this out. 1807 to 1882. He's a general. He's a nationalist. He's the liberator of Italy. And he goes around recruiting young men to liberate Italy. And they ask him, what do you offer, general? What do you offer us? Notice what he says. Then we'll go right to Scripture. I offer neither pay nor quarters, nor food. I offer only hardship, hunger, thirst, sickness, suffering, forced marches, battles, death, and victory in the noblest cause you ever faced. Let him who loves his country with his heart and not merely his lips follow me. How many signing up for that? I mean, there's no small print in, in, in the gospel tract that Jesus hands out. It's no small print. This is what you're signing up for. It's what it means to be a disciple. So now go to Matthew 15, 7, and 8, and here it is. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right. Isaiah prophesied in the Old Testament about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So there's the question today. In the evangelical church, with a gospel-like message where the whole counsel of God is not being preached, do people truly understand what it is they say I believe to? 
That's the question that's before the house. Okay, number two. Now, take a look at the divided disciple. Luke 9, 59. He said to another man. Now, first guy comes to him. Third guy comes to him. He goes to the second guy in the middle. Follow me. Present imperative. You know what that means? Follow me and keep following me until we're done. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. What's wrong with that statement? That seems to be great. It's a religious duty to bury the dead. Honor your father and your mother. This would be the final and fullest act of devotion for the eldest son, if you will, to bury the father. We'll get to the response from Jesus in a moment, but we have to get underneath the passage to understand. Remember, the hard sayings of Jesus, there's a lot of books written about this. The hard sayings of Jesus aren't that hard when you understand the context. So, Lord, let me go bury my father. There was a, a oriental idiom, if you will, and there was a Middle Eastern understanding of the statement of what this guy was saying, and here's what it means. I must bury my father means I must stay until he dies. We know for sure that dad's not dead or didn't just die then. I'll give you one more option in a moment. He doesn't just die or the the son would have been there. So he says, Lord, let me go bury my father. So primarily, it seems it's just father's not dead. Not dead yet. So he must stay until he dies. Why? What will he receive at death of his father? What will he get? You know exactly what he'll get. You know what the scriptures teach. His inheritance. Matthew 6, 24. He's waiting for his inheritance. Jesus knows his heart. Knows exactly what's on his heart. Dad might live another 20 years, but he's got to stay. He's got to get that inheritance. So here's what Jesus says. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So he wasn't ready to serve the Lord now. So what does Jesus say? Watch this. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. Well, we know it doesn't mean physically dead, burying physically dead. We know that. So we can go deeper and say, okay, Jesus must be speaking about the spiritually dead. So the spiritually dead, those who have not responded to the good news of the kingdom, let them bury the dead. But you, you, you go proclaim the kingdom of God. I'm calling you now to me. First thing is for you to get saved. I'm calling you to me. By grace through faith come to me, then you will go out and preach the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. One other option, just to be clear. There's only one other option. The father didn't just die right then. But the father could already be dead. Why? Understanding the cultural context, there's a second burial. Many of you are familiar with the second burial. right? Joseph said, listen, when you go into the promised land, take me with you. How does Joseph go? In an ostrich, in a box, his bones go. So what happens? Father dies. Son, they bury immediately. That day you put them into the cave, into the ground, into the wall. You get Why? There's no embalming, so you wrap them and you bury them. You mourn seven, and then you continue for 30. You finish your mourning. Now what happens? It's up to about a year where it takes that time for the flesh to decay. At that time of about a year... Then the family comes back and removes the bones and puts it in the ossuary box, and then they take that out and rebury it, the second burial. That 
was a practice that was used at that time for many. So here's the options. Father just didn't die. We know that. So either he's been dead and he's in that process time and the son says, I got to go back and I got to fix this and finish this. Or he's going to wait for however many years to, or in order to get his inheritance. And Jesus says, no. Let the dead bury their own dead. The spiritually dead, you, you come and proclaim the kingdom of God. Remember, here's the key. Remember, I've said this a thousand times. Family, awesome thing to have. Possessions, awesome thing. But here's what he said. Don't be possessed by anything other than me. Love your family. Don't love them less, but love me more. Hate father, mother. He's not preaching hate. He's saying, I must be first. I have to be first in your life. Nothing can come between you and I. Nothing. Let the spiritually dead bury them. You come and serve the kingdom of God. It's a hard saying. But when you get behind the context, it seems to make sense. Okay? Here's a profound statement. You might want to write this down, put it up on the fridge. This one's mine. Super profound. Check this out. The one thing no disciple has ever done. You know what it is? Know what it is? It gets you a cookie after if you can guess this one. What's the one thing no disciple has ever done? Serve God tomorrow. Profound. I told you it was worth price of admission. Number three. You ready? What's number three? No, no one serve God tomorrow. And everybody shout tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. There's no tomorrow. Jesus said, listen, the Bible never tells you to seek the kingdom of God. It tells you to seek it first. The kingdom of God is not on a list of things to do. Serving Jesus is not a thing to do list during the week. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. He's it. And everything else has to flow out of your relationship to Christ. Everything flows through that into your family, into your job, into your, your recreation, into your finances, everything. But it flows through and out of your relationship with Jesus. Okay? Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all of this other stuff will be... Okay. Last guy here. This one's double-minded. Another one of these hard sayings that, again, you've got to get to the context. Take a look. Still another guy. Hollers out in front of all the people. I, I'll follow you, Lord. But first, there's the key line. Don't be saying but first to Jesus. Don't do that. He doesn't like that. You're in your prayer life and you're feeling the prompting of the Holy Spirit and you know God's telling you to go do something. And you, But first, don't do that. Stop. There's no but first with Jesus. He is first. When you come to Christ, you lay everything down. Because he knows exactly what is best for our lives, for our marriages, for our families, for our children, for our jobs, for our, for our significance and meaning and purpose. All of it flows through him. So this guy, listen to this. I'll follow you, but first let me go say goodbye to my family. What's wrong with that? That seems awesome. It's actually been done before. This, this, this guy's a student of the scriptures. Do you remember when it was done? It's in the Old Testament. I'll show you. It's already been done. By the great Elisha, having been called by Elijah. Watch this. So he knows there's already a history of this. So Jesus, I'm, I'm with you. Let me go back. Just like Elijah. Let me go back. Elijah said, watch, watch. 
Elisha said, let me go kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. Oh, my. Elijah said go. So how does Jesus respond to the man's request? Watch this. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back. There's an allusion to Lot's wife. Don't miss that one. And looks back. All of this ties together. One word from one God to one world. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Now, some of that perhaps has come out of this great classical wisdom. Hesiod is a Greek poet about 800 years before Jesus. Here's what he writes in his classical wisdom. You can't plow a straight furrow looking backwards. So this is a powerful statement that Jesus makes. But we have to get behind it. We have to get behind it. Elisha says to Elijah, let me go say goodbye. He says, go, go say goodbye. Give you hugs and kisses. This guy says to Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere you go. Let me go home and say goodbye to my family, my hugs and kisses. And Jesus says, no, why? You got to go back, go back a few chapters. And what did the people say? Jesus says, who do men say that I am? Well, they say you're a great prophet. Maybe you're Moses, maybe you're Elijah. Now go to the Mount of Transfiguration. Who shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. What is Jesus saying to this man and to us 2,000 years later? One greater than Elijah is here. Elijah said, go home. But I did not. You follow me right now. I'm no Elijah. I'm no Moses. I'm no Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. I'm the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I am God incarnate. Follow me now. This is pow- See, these aren't really hard statements when you get into the context of understanding what's being said. He's not saying deny your family and, mis- and none of that. Put me first. I'm not Elijah. One greater than Elijah stands before you right now. Before, you could use the same phrase, right? Before Abraham was, I am. Before Elijah was, I am. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. James 1.8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That's a biblical truth. And then let's just touch on this last phrase for a moment because this is really, really damaging um, forward movement for the church. Check this out. This man's past is prohibiting his forward progress. Jesus says this. So look at it this way. Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow. So watch. I'm, I'm here. I have my hand to the plow. And I'm plowing. I'm trying to plow a straight furrow. We're trying to go straight. So I'm moving forward, but I keep looking back. Well, I'm not going to be straight anymore in the furrow. So what is he saying? Stop looking over your shoulder. Do you know how many people today in the church of Jesus Christ are paralyzed by their past? Paralyzed. And that's exactly what Satan wants. You know what you did. You know exactly what you did. You're not fit for the kingdom. You shouldn't even be here. You have no business claiming the name of Jesus, and you certainly have no business serving him. Just stay right where you are. What does Jesus say to that? Stop looking back. Why? I've nailed that looking back to the cross. All that stuff you did, I've cleansed that with my blood. Enough said? Let me tell you something about the past, and let's be crystal clear, because I'm telling you there are millions paralyzed by it. Treat the past as a school. Learn from it. Don't live in it. Let it go. Let that past go. 
Take the lesson, but don't live there. I can't tell you how many, Pastor. You just don't know. I don't care. He knows, and he's paid for that with his blood. Well, I just don't feel what... I don't care how you feel. Get over that. You're his. You're a child of the Most High God. And you have been called into service in his kingdom. Let all that go. Your past is gone. The future is promised to no one. All you have is right now. Right this moment. Choose this day whom you will serve. How do we close? Don't miss this. And then we'll sing our final song and get on with our service to the Lord. Luke 5, 27 and 28. You had the defecting disciple. You had the distracted disciple. You had the double-minded disciple. You can't have any of that getting into the kingdom. You know that. So all of that has to get put away. So salvation is clear. But after we're saved, remember, 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 Salvation is a one-time event, but being a disciple is not a one-time event. A disciple happens for the rest of your life. Luke 9, 23, whoever comes after me must have a triple death. What's the triple death? Deny yourself, which is the hardest thing in the world to do, right? Am I alone? Am I alone? Am I the only one who has a hard time denying myself? You better nod your heads with me. The hardest thing that you have to do is deny yourself. I know some of you. You have a real hard time. Almost as hard as me. It's hard. Why? We're self-absorbed. We just want what we want when we want it. How do we deny the self? Even after Jesus shows up, we're fighting the battle. But he says, deny yourself. Take up your cross. What was that? That was death. They knew what the cross was. Death, die to yourself. Die. And then what? Live for me. Follow me. That's what it means to be a disciple. Okay? Luke 5, 27 to 28. Watch these three things come together. This is beautiful. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, the hated, hated tax collector, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. So Jesus doesn't have any interest in the the scribe, but he says to the hated tax collector, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. I can't read anywhere where Levi said, but first, Lord, Matthew 4, 18 to 20. Check these two guys out. Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee and saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were fishermen casting a net into the lake. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. I don't read anywhere where either said, but first, Jesus. And then these two guys are the best, the sons of thunder. Check them out. Mark 1, 19 and 20. Jesus saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Remember the sons of thunder wanted to go to the level of sons of lightning too, right? Calling fire down from heaven. These are some really whacked out guys. But notice what they do. James and John, they're in a boat and they're preparing the nets. Without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed them. So they're in the boat. They're working on the nets. Jesus says, you guys come follow me. They immediately get up. They see you, dad. Gotta go. And dad's sitting there holding the nets going, that's a good thing. You follow him. Stay with that guy because that is the man. And they leave their dad immediately. It's painting a picture of what it means 
to give your allegiance to Christ, to give your whole heart, don't hold portions of it back. He's the only one that can fill you with the stuff that you need to find the meaning and purpose and significance that you need to feel fully alive and whole and satisfied. That's it. It's him. And he does it through all of the things that he gives to you, all of the good gifts. But he must sit on the throne of our lives. He will tolerate no rival, nor should he. So, can we respond like Peter? We have left everything to follow you. Don't misunderstand what that means. That's, that's huh. So many have missed this over the centuries. This is not a plea for poverty. This is not what this is. What is he saying? We've left our allegiance to everything. It's not what you possess. It's what possesses you. God gives you good gifts to do what with? To expand the kingdom of God. You have all this stuff so that the kingdom grows. He gives it to you. But he says, I must have your allegiance. You can't be possessed by your possessions. You can't do it. Because I'm possessed by my possessions. And my possessions are you and you and you. And I'm a jealous God. And I will tolerate no rival. None. Oh, I'm a jealous God. I want you fully devoted to me, he says. To me alone. I want all your heart. All the time. No better quote to close this with than Clive Staples Lewis. Listen to these words. Ready? There's only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says, All right then, have it your way. That's it. Which one are we? And I don't mean which one are we perfectly. Don't don't do that. Everything we do, we do imperfectly, right? Spouses, we love our spouses imperfectly. Parents, we raise our children imperfectly. Brothers and sisters, we're, we're siblings imperfectly. At the all, everything we do, we do imperfectly. It's not about perfection. It's about what does the heart beat for? Is Jesus your first love? You know, he said far back, Far better to be ice cold than lukewarm. I mean, certainly far best to be hot. That'd be good, right? Let's be hot. But don't be, don't be lukewarm. He said, I'm going to spit you out. So either hot or cold. Thy will be done or, all right, have it your way. I'm not going to force you to serve me. It's up to you. You've got 168 hours every single week. What's the difference between the person who is really poured out and serving the Lord and really expanding the kingdom of Christ all over the world? What's the difference between that person and the person who's not doing it? It's not the time. We all have the same amount of time, 168. It's not the gifting. We're all gifted. We all have talents. So what is it? It's the heart. What does the heart beat for? Does it beat for Jesus? Seek first the kingdom of heaven. Come to Christ.
So if you've never done that, whether here in the sanctuary or by way of the internet, you've, you've, just, you've heard the gospel. The gospel is clear. We are broken. We have no hope apart from Jesus. So with outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, Jesus says what? Come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You're troubled by your past. He says, no, put that down. I've paid for that past. You're troubled by what you're thinking right now. He says, no, put that down. I've paid for that. Every single sin I've nailed to the cross and the ones that you haven't committed yet, I nailed them too. He says, I, I, I want you. He doesn't need us. He wants us. So he says, will you come? Will you put your self-salvation project down? Stop trying to work your way into my favor. He says, put all that down. You can give all the time, talent, and treasure you want, but you ain't getting in that way. You're getting in because of me because you've trusted in me alone. You believe I am who I said I am, God incarnate, the Savior, and you believe I did what I said I did. I laid my life down on your behalf, and you believe that God the Father raised me from the dead on that third day. You believe that truth. Now you trust in that truth. Not enough to believe. The demons believe and they shudder, but you trust. You transfer your trust, just like you're trusting right now where you're sitting, as Dr. Kennedy would use the chair analogy. You're trusting in what you're sitting in. You have to get up and sit over there where Jesus is and trust in him alone. Are you willing to do that if you've never done it today? Today's a day of salvation. Tomorrow it may be too late. It is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. I didn't say it. The book did. May this be a moment of salvation for you right now, right here, right in this place. If you've never prayed, pray with me now these words. All the believers, pray with me as well. We'll pray right now these words to lead you into the kingdom by grace through faith. Let us pray. Father, we know that there are some right here. We know there are some by way of the internet who have never surrendered control to Jesus. Give the gift of repentance and faith. Give them the urging of the Holy Spirit. May they say these words right now just in their hearts. A very simple prayer. Oh God, I heard the truth today. I understand that truth. Everything started good, but it all got bad when sin entered, and, 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 and I'm a sinner, and I can't fix it. So, Lord, I, I repent of my sin. I, I cry out to you, God, be merciful to me, and I believe that my cry of my heart that is sincere from my heart by grace through faith that you now have raised me from death to life. Oh, God, thank you for that truth. All the believers praying that right now. God, give that gift of repentance and faith right now and give them the confident assurance that he who began a good work will one day bring it to completion. Oh, God, we thank you for salvation. But we're not done there. For everyone who's been walking, some for decades, we thank you for sanctification. We thank you that you are continuing to grow us up into Christ. How we love you and we praise you and we thank you for the privilege to call ourselves yours. In Jesus' name, amen.